Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Grant Hill, and welcome to Movement Culture. This is episode 001. As I started to work harder and harder and harder, it just got easier to work hard. This pain or this hardship could actually be an opportunity to grow elsewhere. I found that when I found the answers inside, I was so much more on fire on my path. There really is an artist in everyone. The top five people you surround yourself with, those are the people who should be kind of challenging you every day to kind of look beyond what you think you're capable of. I think you need that. Welcome to Movement Culture. Today I'm joined with two-time Olympic swimmer Roy Birch and physical therapy ninja Jordan Ascanio, who's doing some big things on the forefront of blood flow restriction training, which had a huge impact on Roy's injury recovery and has proven to be a pretty badass performance hack as well. And we'll get into that in the second half of this episode. But first, we'll talk to Roy about his journey through two Olympics and how a debilitating injury at the height of his career left him stronger than ever. Jordan and Roy, what's up? Hey, how you doing? How's it going? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to have both of you guys on the show today. And Roy, let's start with you, man. What was your aha moment when did you know that you were destined to become a swimmer? Well, growing up on a small island, water everywhere, it was important to learn to swim. And just started in backyard pools around the island um, and different learn to swim programs. Was fairly comfortable with the water, so and I ended up playing around a lot more, got in a little bit of trouble, um, which ended up leading into punishment where I was told to swim 100 meters um, at about four years old. And I swam it, and I think they were all surprised. So um, we then moved from there right into club swimming. And when that started was when things started to unlock. You know, we got into an environment where people were more supportive of swimming, obviously being in the swim community. And as I grew older, I started to become more competitive, wanted to break age group records, things like that. And from there was how my career kind of vaulted into club swimming. Um, the club, the club swimming was very, fairly new at the time. Bermuda, you know, it wasn't this kind of long-standing club atmosphere. A lot of the teams had just started, so I was able to be a part of a brand new environment for the island and and, and a newer culture, which allowed for some different kind of excitement, more opportunities, and um, a lot more, a lot of access. So I was able to be a part of Bermuda's national team at a very young age, which allowed me to travel around the world at about, starting at about nine years old. 
and moving forward to opening up more doors and opportunities uh, and understanding that this was going to be a way for me to access things that I may not have been able to do without, you know, saying being very rich or, um, so, so it, it really changed my life for sure. Obviously, you know, it's being able to swim and, and do what I did in, in the circumstances that were there for me at the time. So young stud, prodigy swimmer, you qualify for your first Olympic Games, go to Beijing. Tell me about that experience and what you learned from it. Well, it was an amazing experience, definitely a gift. Uh, I had no business being there, to be honest with you. I was not prepared very well. It was very much a early navigational process of what I wanted to ultimately work up to. And there was no, at the time, there were no other elite swimmers on the island that were even my age. I mean, I think I think the next swimmer below me was like 18 or something. So I, I had the opportunity and I took it. And from that moment, you know, all the things that I saw there being with, the greatest athletes in the world of the time, you know, some of the, 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 the most well-known swimmers of our time, it, it opened up my eyes to more opportunity and, and what I needed to do to actually go about tapping into my full potential. So it was really kind of the start or the lighting the fire of me beginning that journey of discovery and what it means to unlock my my human potential of my ability as a being so in beijing you learned that you had a lot more room to grow what were some of the most tangible takeaways well that's that that was a long process i mean it started with getting getting to a team or getting to a coach that was gonna that knew what it took to be at the highest level then it, it, the discovery process of what my body needed in order to do do things that I didn't actually understand about the sport at all. So it was like going to Beijing was great, but after leaving Beijing and starting that navigational process, I was like, I don't, I don't even know really how to swim at a high level. I, I just don't yeah. know. So it it came it it was slow and it took a long time but it came down to finding a coach a team and and building a team around me of people that were going to be able to help me understand what i needed to do in order to be my best so beijing was all about affirming your raw talents the next 4 years was about refining them Yes, ultimately, yeah, refined and cultivated. I mean, I was really just, I didn't realize how much of a raw swimmer I was. I just, the, some of the things that I saw, like, for example, I'm standing behind the, the, the end of the pool watching, like, Ryan Lochte warm up and, and Peter Van den Hugenband, who was a two-time 100 freestyle champion from 2000 and 2004. And I just watched him push off the wall. And they pushed off the wall so far and so fast, I was defeated in that moment. I was like, I have no business being here. That guy just pushed off to 15 meters and went faster than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Um, And so I accepted that as, you know, I have a lot to learn here and I'm going to go out and search and, and find it. 
Where did you end up finding it? Well, after Beijing, I stayed. I was still in, in the north. I was living in Massachusetts at the time. I had to finish my education. I still had a sub, like a semester and a half left of school. So during that time, um, I was in, taking classes and training a few times a week and just staying at, as active as possible. Um, and then coming into summer '09, I competed at the World Championships and. Through some of the discoveries that I had made from Beijing to that period, I had a ton of improvement. But I wanted more improvement because I still wasn't where I needed to be. And I ended up uh, moving to Germany for about a year. My brother lived there. We had found the Deutsche Sporthochschule, uh, just the German sports school that had a beautiful pool. Um, and it was just a, a nice environment to to attempt to begin this search. But that process, although I really enjoyed my time in Europe and being able to go to different countries fairly often, it wasn't uh, it wasn't giving me the swim tools that I needed. It was great experience, but I wasn't I wasn't getting much better in the water. So I ended up coming back to the states and. My, the first meet that I had competed in when I came back was the Charlotte uh, Grand Prix, I think it was at the time. And there was where I, I was able to connect with some of the people in the program here and make my way, start to begin to make my way to Charlotte. That, that, that again took, you know, a, a, a long while, about a, over a year from that point. But that that was more of the start of how I got to Charlotte. So now you're in Charlotte, you've got a team in place, you've got Olympic experience under your belt. What was the difference in your mindset and your training approach between Beijing and London? Well, by the time I had gotten to 2012, I had trained with some of the best people in the sport, some of the best people in my event, and I was I, I had just become more seasoned. I was racing more often and just had a different mentality towards what it took. I mean, before I went to Beijing, I had raced one long course race in in May. I, I did the 53 in California in May. That was the only long course race that I had the whole season. And then I went to Beijing and did the 100. So I hadn't even done the race that I was doing the whole year. <laughs> Huh. So, wow. you know, you could, you could see, you know, how underprepared that was. I look back on it like, what a disaster. Like, what were we even thinking? But we just we just didn't have the access. You know, it's, it was just a difficult process to figure out. I mean, no one had done it from Bermuda. So it was navigating. It was kind of like going to the moon. You know, we could see the moon, but we didn't know how to get there. Right. So then coming into 2016, you're training, you're at the peak of your career, and maybe even have your sights set on a medal in Rio. Yeah. And you get hit with a devastating injury. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, I was locked in. I mean, I, I had ex turned over every rock. Everything was coming together. I met Jordan uh, to get better therapy for my body when I was dealing with certain pain. I had met my Pilates instructor who I had started to train with regularly 
and I saw the, the gains there. And then my weight coach had come in and, and was getting, you know, great weight training and all the pieces had just fallen in place. And I had the best in-season swim I've ever had January of 2015. And as a I really felt that I was, it was time for me to truly believe that I was a contender. My coach had, had, you know, had finally believed that I was a contender and I was just making waves and getting very tough to beat in practice. Um, just being an absolute animal when it came to practice toughness and, and the desire to win every rep, um, rep after rep after rep. So I finally found that and it wasn't about, it was only about a month <laughs> that I, I got to experience it before I blew out both my patella tendons. Um, so, it was, you know, definitely a depressing, difficult pill to swallow, but you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things of sport. That's the nature of the beast. So where does your drive come from? That internal fire, that tenacity, that grit, and did it have a role in your recovery? Yeah, definitely. The, I, I honestly, I, I don't know what, what was driving me in that way. It was just got tired of losing, losing, got tired of disappointment and, just getting tired of a lot of failures and the failures are the, are the lessons, but I was just like, okay, you know, I've had enough. Like I need to, I need to figure this out. I need to make this happen. I think I was starting to feel like a bad investment and I was very hard on myself and I just wanted to make sure that if there was anything that I was accomplishing that I could do, it was that I worked hard. And then I just started to, as I started to work harder and harder and harder, it just got easier to work hard. And then that just fueled the fire. I mean, it would, it would be days where I could, I would train for six hours and then I would come home and train for another hour because I was just pushing the edge as far as I could. I was in a mentality where I felt like there's never enough. I always need to do more. Um, and that may have ultimately broken me, but I think I, I think I needed to be broken. So there's a book by Thich Nhat Hanh called No Mud, No Lotus. And it's the idea that sometimes our darkest days are the ones that give us strength for a bright future. How did that experience change you? When I look back on it, it, it's become more of a beautiful experience than a burden. Uh, it allowed, it, 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 it has given me much more clarity uh, within myself and, and what my deeper purpose can be or my vocation for my life as I move forward. Um, it's, it, at the time, yes, it, you know, it was dark and depressing. And when you go from being the most athletic you've ever been in your life to not being able to walk for several months, it can, it can play with your head. I mean, I've, I've never sat still for 24 hours straight and for three weeks straight, I had to sit in bed. It was, you know, I could go from my wheelchair to the bed, right. but you know, a lot of things like that were happening. I mean, I had to use the toilet next to the bed, you know, and, and it was things that were like, I was like, I was a 90 year old man and, it just 
it just gave me a glimpse of, you know, this could happen anyway, regardless of how hard you work. So you really need to, to be mindful of how you move through this world. What was your mindset like as you were rehabbing and what motivated you to keep pushing? I just wanted to finish strong. I just wanted to get get through this process and and maybe give my maybe maybe give myself the opportunity to take another shot. I I can't say that things were that clear. It was it was more like I'm I've come this far. Just just take it home. You just just go the rest of the way. Um, I had already had all the tools, all the work ethic. I had the team, the support. So if anything, it was just going to be some kind of miracle to see me get back up and do compete at a, at a higher level again. And, and, and also for the people around me, it, it wasn't as much about me. It was more like, okay, my kids need me to be back up. My wife, you know, all the things that I couldn't do that I didn't necessarily think of having to do, like, you know, getting up and unloading the dishwasher, all of that, a lot of that stuff couldn't happen anymore. And it was just time to um, dig in and, and get back to what normal could be or should be. And I can't say that I was very clear or if at all clear at the time, it's just, it was just a matter of getting back up and one day at a time. And I think that was probably the most powerful. It, it brought presence to the moment because I had to be so careful with my body. I was so fragile. I was so weak. Um, you know, I lost 20 pounds of muscle in three days. So my body just was, was in a place where if I wasn't careful and I wasn't paying attention to everything I did, then I, I was going to hurt myself again. Who's your biggest inspiration, Roy? My biggest inspiration is my is my mother. Uh, she she died when I was 17 years old, senior in high school. But the way that she battled through cancer resonates with me deeply. And her strength through that process of raising my brother and I, and you know, having a a, a difficult marriage, um, you know, it, it really just allowed me to tap into her spirit and her, you know, also my grandfather, you know, they're massive inspirations. My grandfather was so intelligent and, and articulate and he prepared me in many different ways to, because he foresaw what, what I, what I be, then became capable of. So between her and him, you know, my grandmother, just my family, um, really, really inspire me to to bring more to the table because of what they've done in our family. And, and I just wanted to make our name known in another way is that we can, you know, we do these things and we're, we are a family of excellence and we pursue our goals and dreams. We work on our, ourselves, our personal accountability and how we contribute to the people around us. What's the biggest life lesson swimming taught you? To go with the flow, <laughs> no pun intended, but really what swimming became to me was, or the water was getting out of your own way. And you can, you, it's like, it's poetic, it's artistic, you know, this, you're getting off the block with all this force and that's the most force that you're going to produce. 
and the rest of it for me was getting getting out of your way and being narrow and being able to move through the water or the flow or the, or your life with least resistance and the the more resistance that you put up to the change or what what's coming your way you end up making it more difficult for yourself and that that probably i think i was living that out through my injury not necessarily knowing how to articulate those thoughts but i had to get out of my own way essentially and and one day at a time make some kind of progress if you had one book you could hand someone who's aspiring to one day become an olympic athlete or a pro athlete what book would that be Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I, I would say The Alchemist. Um, it's nice. It's the story of that journey, and it's not a you know difficult read, but it it has all those pieces of where you start with wonder, you start with your dream, and then you go out and search, and then when you get there, you realize that you it was with you all along, and you could have you could have been this way right there and then but the journey is where you discover all those pieces and you can't it's it's it goes like one in one or hand in hand it's like the journey evokes all the things that um or it helps you discover yourself and some of us have to go on longer journeys than others and fortunately for me my journey began a long time ago unknowingly on it and meeting all the challenges or many challenges that would be the the toughest challenges of my life up to this point and those helped forge me in the way that I can be here today and be very present and be compassionate and and express empathy and love and confidence all those things that um help that allow me to help the people that I'm around and myself too you know um it makes a big difference that's awesome. Uh, the Alchemist is on the very top of my list as well. It's a great book. Paulo Coelho, amazing yeah. author and really just a transformative book. Everybody, yeah. everybody should be should read it. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 just a good it's just a good story and a, and really allows you. It's like a, that aha moment at the end. It's like oh whoa, you know, yeah, I can you can I can dig that. That's that's it relates, you know. Absolutely. Who do you follow or look to as a catalyst for inspiration and growth? I I, I follow a, a lot of spiritual leaders. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh probably being the person that I follow the most or read most of his uh, teachings. Um, Alan Watts, um, any Dogen, uh, you know, I, I just tried to tap into that side, the spirituality side of myself and, and cultivate that more and more. And it, it allows me to connect in different ways, you know, through my day. And, and what it's really done for me is created a lot more compassion and empathy. And, and each day I, I feel that I'm moved by something, you know, I, I really appreciate being able to shed some tears when I see something said, because I never experienced that before. I was never able to connect in that way. And 
when I see something, someone going through something, I can connect and bring some truth or bring as much truth as possible, I, if that even makes sense, bring my truth and and say what I've been through and, and let them know that you're not alone in, in your struggle. And, you know, we're all going through something. We're here together. And if, if that's all that I can do, or if, if the only thing that about going to the Olympics was in order to connect to people better, then I'm very happy with that. As a coach, how do you coach your athletes to push through adversity? Depending on who it is, I, I try to help them channel their emotions. So if they're upset with a race or, you know, whatever the case may be, I, I try to get them to reflect on what's happened up to this point, what, what they've put in or what they haven't put in, and just being honest with the situation, seeing it more clearly. Not so much like, okay, I had these goals and aspirations and I, and that's what I wanted to meet and I'm not going to be satisfied if I met them. It's more like, okay, did you give the honest effort? Did you do everything that was required in order to be in this place? And if the answer is no, then you either go about making the change as we move forward or accept that you didn't do it. And if you're not going to do it, accept that you're not going to do it. And it's okay, you know, it's okay to not, you know, not be in these places where you're trying to win whatever it is, you know, if, 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 but if it's what you want, then you have to be true to it because the competition is out there being true to that process. What are some of your mind-body practices and daily habits? Yeah, I, I mean, I meditate daily, even if I, it's only for five minutes. I, I try to read daily um, to help articulate some of the thoughts or if I feel like I'm in a like kind of a lull uh, obviously I still I still work out as, as much as I can not as much as I would like to but as much as I can and you know just just spending time with my family and and get giving and receiving love awesome um, you know that's that's I, I, I'm looking to make things more simple and the, you know these complex situations. I try to bring some some simplicity to them and not attach my happiness to materials. You know, it's I can be happy because I'm happy. You know, and that's that's that. Removing more, removing more, and as much as much as possible. Are you a fan of the Winter Olympics? And are you watching? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the winter athletes. I I really feel for them because. There, I feel like they're much more of a rare breed. It's so much harder to come out of one of those sports. There's not many places they can do what they do. Most of them don't get anything or, you know, they, they don't make money less. Some of them, you know, some of the Europeans probably, but for the most part, these people don't make, they make less money than the summer athletes. And it's just a hard, tough, I mean, it's winter. Like, yeah, in the snow, doing all that stuff, man, that stuff is hard. Ice. It's tough. These guys, they're so tough. And I appreciate that toughness and that, that perseverance. So now after your injury, you had about a year to pick up all the pieces and get back into Olympic shape. That's when you discovered blood flow restriction training. And you got in the water about a year after your injury and put up an Olympic qualifying time. How much of an impact did blood flow restriction training have on your recovery? Yes, yes, massive impact. Tell me a little bit about that. 
Well, it was, I had first encountered it when I was in, when I was at a world championship. Company was there and they had their machine and they tested it on me and I was a little sore and I, and after I used it, I felt amazing. And um, I went to the meet and had some of my best times. I, I had all the best times. And so it wasn't, it was only three months later where I ended up blowing my knees out and the company, one of the guys at the company contacted me and said that it would be a great tool for you to use in your recovery. And it was definitely a great tool because what I ended up, I didn't realize how stiff I would be and how long it would take to get the range of motion back. And all those things were frustrating. But when I used the machine, it was like, it was like a jump starter, a kickstarter for my system because I, I don't think my blood was flowing properly. It couldn't have been flowing properly because because of all the atrophy and all those other things. It ended up, like I said, jump-starting my system. So it felt like my knees had had the blood in them that they needed. And as I used the system more and more, that feeling would hang around for longer and longer. So at first, I would say it was like I would only feel good for about 10 minutes. Then it was 20. Then, you know, 45. And next thing I know, I use it, and I'm feeling great for about an hour. And that was great because that's the amount of time that I take to do my whole warm-up process race and it ended up proving to be you know probably the most I would say the most pivotal part of my recovery because it was passive most of the time I didn't really have to do anything I could use the system passively for recovery or I could use it aggressively in training and that versatility made it so so important to what I did and you know, for sure, the weight training, the weight coach, my Pilates instructor, Jordan, they were all important to the process. But being able to have that one extra piece, you know, there was there was no moment kind of left un, unturned, I suppose. It was, there was something that I could add to my day every day. And, and that made it more powerful. In one year, Roy went from the top of his game to wheelchair ridden, unable to bear any weight in his legs. With blood flow restriction training, Roy was back in the water and posted an Olympic qualifying time in 2016. We're gonna take a short break, but when we come back, we're gonna to talk to Jordan Ascanio about blood flow restriction training and how it can help you perform better and recover faster. This episode is brought to you by D9 Brewing Company, one of my favorite breweries in the world, based right here in Lake Norman, North Carolina, but spreading like wildfire throughout the country. D9 is quickly becoming the leader in wild fermented ales. It's true artistry in every bottle. One of my favorite beers, the Sistema Natura, was awarded a gold medal at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. Ask for it at your local craft beer market. Learn more at d9brewing.com and follow them on social media at d9brewing. We're back with Jordan Ascanio, physical therapy ninja and blood flow restriction training guru. As you heard earlier from Roy, blood flow restriction training was a critical component in his recovery from double patellar tendon tears, allowed him to get back in the water less than a year after his injury and post an Olympic qualifying time. So next we're gonna to talk to Jordan about blood flow restriction training and why it's such an effective performance and recovery hack. 
So tell us about blood flow restriction training, Jordan. What's the experience like and how does it work? So in essence, you use a, a cuff with a special device. And in essence, it allows us to control how much blood flow is going to your limbs, so legs or arms, while you exercise. The, uh, this device has a special Doppler that allows us to figure out what your personal pressure is, meaning how much pressure it takes for us to control the blood flow in the limb. And we actually get to choose how much goes in while you exercise, which is a, a very nice tool. Uh, and then once it's turned on, we give you a controlled uh, rep exercise and um, you go at it. And uh, I, 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 it's no joke. I mean, it's very humbling once you actually start using it, how easy it is to reach that failure point and how easy it is to reach that pump and that burning sensation from the uh, from the lactate response. Yeah, and I've had firsthand experience with this under your supervision, Jordan, and I gotta say, I thought it was gonna be pretty easy because we're using such light weights and we're doing you know fairly mundane movements, just a bicep curl or a lunge. But I gotta say, not just the physical challenge, but the mental challenge was really surprising to me. And I felt like I was digging in just as deep on a blood flow restriction training set than I was on a 225 for 20 reps back squat. Yeah, I agree. Actually, there are studies uh, with cyclists that demonstrate that once you go through a two-week program, your tolerance to that max capacity, the tolerance to that burn actually increases, which for somebody uh, like an Ironman, it's a big deal when it comes down to that, that last part of the race, being able to push through Talk about the safety of blood flow restriction training, because when we say blood flow and restriction in the same sentence as training, it might raise some eyebrows. It's actually very safe, um, especially because the devices that we use allow us to truly control what's happening. Uh, we, we have seen an increase in people trying to uh, adapt other devices to be able to use with the same idea. and. Um, I think once you are unable to really control what's happening, you, you get into a riskier zone. But uh, the, the technology itself, especially the one that we use, is extremely safe. Um, just to put it as a reference, the device that we use is made by a company that makes surgical tourniquets. And anytime that you have a surgery, they, in essence, occlude the blood flow going to your limb. So it's constantly being used every day for, for that purpose. The difference here is that we're never going to stop all of your blood flow from, from going into your limb. And we constantly, and it's live actually, control how that blood flow is behaving while you exercise. So generally speaking, when you're rehabbing from an injury, there's going to be some muscle atrophy. You're working on creating space in the joint, driving nutrients and blood flow, and maintaining mobility. But it's kind of a given that you're going to lose muscle. But in some of the studies I'm looking at, it's showing people maintaining strength or even gaining strength and not skipping a beat. So I can only imagine the benefits if you use blood flow restriction training when you're healthy. What a competitive advantage. Correct. So I would say there are two main avenues that, that could be useful. There's many benefits, but the two avenues will be for somebody who is injured, it allows the opportunity to prevent muscle loss or increase muscle mass, 
maintain your strength if you're recovering from an injury because the loading demands are not as high. Now, once you're able to get to an actual performance level, um, it's able to amplify the results that lifting or training would normally give you. So you could use it in different avenues depending on where you stand in that process. From a performance enhancement standpoint, the data is really impressive. It's even showing that blood flow restriction training is more effective than steroids. Is that right? Yeah, so it's very interesting. I think uh, that genetics and and habits, nutrition, and and how serious you take your your training could influence a lot of the results. But um, I've seen upwards of an inch growth in quads within a month, which you know, that's wow. very significant for any, any bodybuilder or anybody who's looking to increase muscle mass and, and obviously strength along with that. So the bodybuilding community has really latched on to blood flow restriction training as early adopters. Who else is blood flow restriction training ideal for? That's right. So right now we have a, a big group of bodybuilders that are using it, and which is awesome because you have this ideal audience, uh, this group of people who are going to monitor their sleep, nutrition, uh, we can monitor the programs through their coaches, uh, and they really are setting themselves up uh, nicely for, for muscle growth. Um, and they're seeing, we're seeing a huge, huge impact in that, in that group. Uh, we also have a lot of Ironmen that are using this, this equipment. Um, because throughout the, their training, as you get closer to the races, volume, um, it's pretty significant. And, and a lot of them see muscle loss. There's, there's less time to be invested into actual strength training as they have to swim, bike, or run more. Uh, and that could definitely impact their tissue tolerance to, to the stress that they're doing. It could impact their recovery. Um, so I would say those two are the biggest groups that are really tapping into this technology. So at the end of the day, what we're doing is triggering a max effort hormonal response with sub max effort loads. Tell me what's happening on a hormonal level. So whenever you use this, um, this technology, you are replicating an environment similar to when you do heavy lifting. So you're not replacing it, it's, it's replicating that environment, which means you are going to have an increase in uh, human growth hormone, mTORC, IGF-1, which are all prosynthetic hormones that your body normally sees in, in, in a high load environment. Uh, obviously, the difference is that we are using 20% of that load to get the same response. And it's interesting because a lot of people see human growth hormone and, and, and they may not truly understand what, what it does. Um, they might see it as a, an anabolic hormone in which, you know, the moment that it, you get more in your body, you're just going to start, you know, blowing up. <laughs> and it's not, not going to turn into the Hulk just because you do that. Um, hormones like that that are prosynthetic, a lot of times uh, are actually more involved into the repair of tissue, which means you put that hormone in the system, your body is able to recover faster and it allows you to go back into training. So the, the, the results are going to be based on the training that you're doing. Where this plays a part in is how much do we amplify that result? How, how much faster can we get that outcome? 
So since you're stimulating a growth hormone response, in theory, if you have a broken ankle, you could use blood flow restriction training in your bicep and still speed recovery of the ankle? Yeah, yeah, actually, it's very interesting how that works. We like to do that with big muscles for the same for the same reason. So if we get a big muscle group to produce a lot of those hormones, the moment that we remove the cuff, all of that is going to flow through your body. It's interesting because that lactate it actually crosses the blood-brain barrier, and, and they're even seeing changes in people that have um, neurological problems. Wow. The studies with, with Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's, hopefully they're, they're going to come up with some results of that soon. That's amazing, man. So a big takeaway for me is that a lot of the traditional physical therapy that we go through in injury recovery is focused on the injury itself, on the joint and the muscle tissue. But blood flow restriction training works in the background, floods the body with nutrients and growth hormones so that it can repair itself. 100%. That's exactly what, what's happening. And we could propel that process and speed it up by setting up the right environment for, for tissue to recover. Who's the ideal candidate for blood flow restriction training? Um, I would say somebody who wants to improve their performance, so amplifying your results, your performance, somebody who wants to improve uh, recovery, so an athlete who wants to perform better, protect their joints, um, grow muscle, uh, who has multiple competitions and wants to recover faster, or simply the person who has been struggling for a long time and are hesitant to get back into the gym and, and and have a lot of limitations and who's looking for that window of opportunity to break that cycle and, and finally get back on their feet and get active again. You're nothing. Blood flow restriction training is a massive breakthrough in performance enhancement and injury recovery. If people want to learn more about it or if they want to work with you, tell listeners where they can find more info. They can go to our website, healthybodypt.com. Um, slash BFR. We also also recently added our Instagram page, uh, BFR Training. Um, there's also more info at Owens Recovery Science. They definitely have they're the fro- forefront of a lot of this technology in the United States, uh, including the equipment. Well, there you have it. Blood flow restriction training is ridiculously effective at increasing performance and decreasing recovery time. Jordan and Roy, thank you guys so much for joining us on movement culture. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate your time. And thanks, Ron. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Movement Culture. If anything in this episode resonated with you, take a screenshot, drop it in your stories, share it with a friend, tag Movement Culture at M-D-M-T-C-L-T-R. Peace out.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.